Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. This morning I'd like to preach to you on the subject, winning as a church. Winning as a church. Before we get started here, just give you a quick update. I went and saw my uh, cancer doctor on Tuesday. And uh, we went over a couple things. He went over my blood work and went over the uh, ultrasound for my uh, lymph nodes. And um, the one that had grown has basically stayed the same, but there's two more that have uh, increased in growth. Uh, one is an inch, one is uh, over an inch, about an inch and a half, I guess. And uh, he checked me, and he could not. He was baffled. He could not... Um, he couldn't feel them. He said, being that big, I should be able to feel them, and I can't feel them. And so then he went through the procedures that could take place. He goes, I'm going to give you three options. Number one, we can wait for a couple months and then be tested again. He said, we could do an MRI or we could do a PET scan. And I said to him, well, I'd like to take the most aggressive approach if we could. And he said... Uh, well, that would be the PET scan, and so I'm waiting to get that scheduled. Um, I, I did say to him, I said, can't we just cut them out? Not that I want somebody cutting on me, but if there's something that is in my body that shouldn't be in my body, not that my lymph nodes shouldn't be there, but there may be something else going on there, then I want it out. And uh, he said, well, we can, but I can't feel them. And so uh, we're going to see what's going on there. We'll do the PET scan, and then after that, we will um, uh, take a next step. If there's activity there, then we'll take the next step. I'm not sure what I'm going to do if there's no activity. He said we could do an MRI and take a biopsy as well, but we'll see. So you just continue to pray, if you would, that the uh, Lord would undertake, that um, there would uh, be wisdom given in the uh, direction that we should take. Um, and so pray for that. And uh, I do have peace as we just sung. I have peace that the Lord's will uh, will be accomplished and it will be done. No matter what that may be, it will happen. And then that means that God's will will happen here as well. Folks, remember one thing. If God is, is removing me from here, that means that God is leading someone here. Let's try that again. Thank you for the one. If God is removing me from here, that means that he is leading somebody here. Yes, okay. Uh, there's nobody that's irreplaceable. This is not Pastor Riddell's church. This is God's church. And since it's his church, the Bible tells us that what? He sets up rulers and he takes them down. He puts people in positions of authority and he takes them down. At this point in my life, he is on May the 30th, he will officially remove me in the position of authority in the local church. And uh, so therefore, if he's going to do that, that means that God is raising somebody up. 
When I came 11 years ago, I told you that I was staying till 2035. Well, God's changed those plans. And I told you on that Sunday, 11 years ago, almost 11 years ago, it would be the first Sunday in June that would be 11 years. I'm leaving that week right before that. I told you that one of the themes that God has given to me, he gives something to every pastor, is the unity of the church. The unity of the church is extremely important. And uh, over the next few times that I'm going to preach to you, I'm going to be speaking about the unity of the church. It's very important because of the transition that we're going through right now. This can be a time in the life of a church where God is glorified, or it can be a time in the life of a church where the church is ripped apart. It could be because somebody's not getting their way, or there's a power play, or there's preferences that are being elevated over the Word of God. And so we as a church, we must be careful to make sure that we are unified. And I've entitled this message this morning, Winning as a Church. Winning as a Church. I don't know about you, but I want to be on a winning team. And thank God, all of us that know Christ as our personal Savior, we know that we're on the winning side. Ultimately, we win because of Jesus Christ. We don't win because of us. We don't win because we're Americans. We don't win because we're white, black, yellow, or green. It doesn't matter. We win because we are, G- we are part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we're part of that and he wins, that means that we win. The Bible teaches us that all that is his is also ours. We are heirs, co-heirs with Christ, the Bible says. So since he was victorious over the grave, death, and hell, we too will be victorious because of Christ. But I like being on a winning team. I remember for years when I played soccer in high school, our team was horrible. We didn't win very many games until we started to win a little bit my junior year. And then my senior year, we were winning everything. Oh, it was tough the first few years of not winning much, but then when we finally beat our arch rivals, the last time that I was going to play our arch rivals, I was in the, bat- in the men's bathroom over there, and their coach walked in. I knew their coach, and he said, well, George, I don't know why he didn't call me pastor at that time, he said, well, George, how many goals are you going to score today? I was the leading scorer in the league at that point, and, and uh, I said, coach, I'm going to score three. He said, yeah, we'll see. We had never beaten them. I remember the first game we played against them. We lost 10 to nothing in soccer. That's like losing 100 to 20 in basketball, okay? That is horrible. The first half, I scored three goals, and and the second half, I think I scored at least another one, and we ended up winning in maybe like five to nothing or something like that, or four to nothing, I don't know, but we won, and I remember uh, smiling at him and waving to him as they left. I like being on a winning team. I've never let my girls win against me. No, 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 I'm not going to let them win. They've got to earn it. I don't care if we're playing tiddlywinks. I want to win. I did let little Miles this morning beat me in arm wrestling, though, on the front pew here. We were arm wrestling, and he beat me. I think that's the first time I've probably let a kid win at anything. But none of us like being on losing teams. And God has a game plan for the church. 
Yes, we're on the winning side in the future, but what about now? What should our church look like if we are going to win during this time of transition in our church? How is God going to be glorified? How are people are going to continue to uh, come to know Christ? How are we going to see more people baptized? I believe that if we follow the game plan that God has given to us in his word, we will win. You say, well, how do we win? To win, we must learn to live together in the church. See, living together in the church reveals the power of God. It reveals the power of the gospel. And how? What are the principles that we could uh, apply today to our lives? And over these next few weeks or months, as God is leading somebody else in here, how can we win as a church here in Williamstown? Write this down if you would. Number one, you embrace God's goal for his church. You know, God is a purposeful God. God does not do anything by chance. It's not that like uh, something just happens and, and God, God doesn't work that way. God has a purpose for everything that he does. And we must embrace God's goal for his church. You say, what is one of God's goals for his church? I would say it is unity. But let me tell you something, folks. Unity is hard. Listen, unity is hard, and unity takes work. You say, why is that? Because we're all still sinners? But even though we're still sinners, God wants us to glorify him through living together in this local church. Think about it. How can we... How can we as sinful, selfish people gather together, not with a forced unity, I'm not talking about a forced unity that denies differences, that overlooks difficulties, or compromises the message of the gospel. I'm not talking about that kind of unity. But a unity that preserves the message of the gospel and acts as a compelling testimony to a world around us. How can we have this unity when we respond to sin in our midst without descending into gossip? Without descending into slander? How can we trust our leadership and still recognize that they are sinners too? How can we love people who make us feel uncomfortable because they are so different from us? Turn to Matthew chapter 12, if you would, in verse 25. The, the, the basis of this message comes from Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. And we're going to look at many scriptures today. See, in many churches today, you know what's being done and what can be done. Listen, it can be done here at Open Bible during this time of transition. They are displaying to a watching world how to complain, be divisive, and unhappy. Folks, we have some new believers with us. Some of you who are more mature believers, what are you going to be displaying to them during this time? 
What are you going to be talking about? Are you going to be talking about your preferences? Or are you going to be talking about, let's just spend some time in prayer and see what God would have for this place. See, we got to remember, there's a watching world. Folks, Open Bible has a testimony outside these four walls. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 12, take a look at this, if you would, in verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Uh, could we not take that principle and apply that to the church? Yes. A church that is divided against itself will not stand and it cannot display the goal of God. And one of the goals of God is for unity within the church. Think about one of the most unlikely candidates for unity in the church. His name was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Jew's Jew, if you will. He was the most unlikely candidate to promote unity among Jews and Gentiles. The Jews hated Gentiles. He was brought up with that prejudice. He looked at Gentiles as dogs. He could not stand Gentiles. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He could care less if every Gentile went to hell. As a matter of fact, many Jews, and probably Paul, believed that the reason that Gentiles were created, you and me, was to fuel the fire in hell. He hated the Gentiles. But he was ultimately the one that was used by God to bring unity between the Jew and the Gentile. See, in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, Paul takes time to be able to describe the power of the gospel. And that though as, Christian, uh, though as, as unbelievers we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we are now alive in Christ and reconciled both to God. Now listen, reconciled both to God and to each other. Do you realize that same uh, Christian here this morning, that the Christian has the same Holy Spirit that you do, that though you might be a Democrat and they're a Republican... and I've said it before and I'll say it again, it is a sad commentary on the church today that Christians who are of a different political party have more in common with the unsaved than they do with Christians of an opposite party. That's sad. See, Paul was for unity. I want you to see, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 if you would please. In Ephesians chapter 2, God's goal for the church, one of his goals for the church is unity and we are to live that out. Ephesians chapter 2, we saw Paul's, we see Paul's passion and his excitement for the unity of the Jews and Gentiles. Take a look at verse 14 if you would please. For he is our peace. Who is it speaking of? Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one.
we're one. He is our peace. We're one. And have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul's passion, his joy for unity. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, that the Gentiles, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am, least, uh, who am less than least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You say, how, how, how can we be unified when, when we have differences and when, when, when we have difficulties and when we have different backgrounds? It's the grace of God that works in and through us. That's what he says. The gift of the grace of God was given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Are you going to let yourself be in control or are you going to let God be in control? See, you can tell when you're in control or when God's in control. You say, how do you know that? Proverbs tells us it very plainly. When there's contention. When there's this. I want you to notice something else here in Ephesians chapter 3. God's purpose for unity. Why are we to embrace the unity in God, this goal of God, this unity that he, that he has for us? Why are we to do this? Because there is a purpose for it. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church in the manifold wisdom of God. It is through the church. That's you and me, not this building. It's, it's you and me. And more specifically, through the different backgrounds, the different ethnicities, the different upbringings, that God brings glory to himself by showing his manifold wisdom to the world. You say, Pastor, what would be your, what would be your desire as we go through this transition? That open Bible doesn't miss a beat. That we continue to see people saved. That we continue to see people baptized. And I would, I, my desire would be that the church would actually grow during this time. See, God's purpose for unity is to show his manifold wisdom. Not only that, but purpose for unity is also to display a growing body. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. See, there's a characterization here of our relationship, of all our relationships in the church here. In Ephesians chapter 4, take a look at verse 2. You say, how should I conduct myself during this time? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, for bearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
I didn't say ignore differences. I didn't say overlook difficult circumstances. We should not have unity to just have unity. But to have unity, we're going to have to work at it. It's not just going to happen. Any person, any marriage, any marriage that is a good marriage, and you ask them, how do you have a good marriage? They just don't say, well, I, I watch TV and she, you know, I just sit back and I click the clicker. And it takes work, doesn't it? A good marriage just doesn't happen, does it? No. Sometimes you have to put your feelings aside. Sometimes you have to forbear another in the, your partner, your mate. Sometimes you have to love when it's not always easy to love. Sometimes you have to serve when you don't feel like serving. It takes work. And guess what, folks? For us to be able to have unity here at Open Bible, it takes work. But it's part of God's goal. Write these down because here's some guiding principles that will help you over these next few months as you're praying and looking. Remember this. The unity of the church, listen, the unity of the church is central to the message of the gospel. The unity of the church is central to the message of the gospel. Second guiding principle. The unity of the church showcases the wisdom of God. The unity of the church is showcasing the wisdom of God. You don't want to be unified so that you can bring glory to yourself. It's not about the name of Open Bible Baptist Church, but it's about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing that we've got people from all different type of ethnicities, all different type of educational backgrounds, all different type of socioeconomic backgrounds, all of that, and the work is still moving forward. There has got to be something bigger than these people here, and it's God. And then the third guiding principle. Here you go. The unity of the church is the responsibility of each member. The unity of the church is the responsibility of each member. You say, Pastor, how should I, how should I handle if some people are starting to, to spread some gossip or whatever the case may be, or, oh, well, did you hear this and did you hear that? Not that anybody would ever do that here at Open Bible, but how do I handle that? This is what you do. You look at that brother or sister in the eye and say, let's just stop right there. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray that you and I, we will promote unity. Let's pray that God's man 
would be placed here at this church. Let's pray that we display the manifold wisdom of God so the watching world can see. Let's pray. You know, if enough people do that, it'll stop it all. (laughs) See, the unity of the church is part of God's goal. See, to win as a church, we must embrace God's goal for his church. But number two, you apply unity in God's church. But it's got to be the right type of unity. You apply unity in God's church. There are some, you may want to write this down, there are some that would say, oh, we've got to have unity at all costs. I would say, no, no, no. Some people say that Christian unity means that all people who call themselves Christians should organize together institutionally or at least cooperate together in a single body of believers. I would say, no, you don't want to do that. See, the problem with Christianity, they say, is that our doctrinal disagreements, did you catch that? Our doctrinal disagreements between Catholics and Protestants or evangelicals or theological liberals damage our influence to this world. Therefore, we should set those doctrinal differences aside and unite in the greater cause of making the world a better place. If there were ever a man to darken the door of Open Bible Baptist Church and say something like that, You had better run as fast as you can. See, when you have this expansive view of unity at all cost, you will have a very shallow unity. See, the reason is because many of those who call themselves Christians would disagree on some very fundamental questions, and I would encourage our deacons who are also our pulpit committee to remember some of these questions, and I think that uh, some of you here this morning, you better make sure that the next man coming in can answer these questions, but also for those who we unify with. Number one, what does it mean to be a Christian? I've heard some people say, well, I'm an American. Of course I'm a Christian. No, you're not. I've heard some people say, well, all of God's creation, they're all his children. We're all God's children. No, you're not. You're all God's creation, but you're not all God's children. There's a major difference. Here's another question. Who is God? Is he one among many or is he the one true God? See, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. See, we've got to apply this unity in the church. It's one thing to embrace it, but now we've got to apply it. We've got to live it out. Who is Jesus? There are those who call themselves Christians who say that Jesus is not God. Well, guess what? If you believe that Jesus is not God, you are not a Christian. We should not be unifying with them. How about this question? How do you get saved? I am, I'm a pretty good person as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad. We shouldn't unify with those people. Is there a literal hell? That's a good question to ask. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, there's only one of two destinies 
that every person will go to. Either you will go to heaven because you have accepted Jesus Christ as the only way that he is the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God that has never sinned, that died on the cross for my sins and for your sins, rose three days later according to Scriptures. You either accept that and go to a literal heaven or you reject it and go to a literal hell. Here's another question. Is the Bible the Word of God or does it just contain the Word of God? (laughs) The Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. When we read Scripture, it is the voice of God, if you will, speaking to it. These are the words of God for us when he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? God says that all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. If we just say that, well, it contains the Word of God, then maybe some things are not the Word of God and then some things are the Word of God. And I would say to those people, then can you please tell me which is the Word of God and which is not the Word of God because I want to make sure that I have the Word of God. See, because this morning my authority as your pastor is not based upon who I am, but my authority, I come to you as your pastor this morning, based upon the authority of the Word of God. And I would say to you that just these very, there were seven fundamental questions, very basic questions that probably most of the kids in our Sunday school could answer. Because these are such fundamental questions does not mean that they should not have biblical answers. But then there are those, not only say unity at all costs, there's the other extreme, no unity at all. What do you mean? Well, for some Christians, unity is a bad word. These are the ultra-separatists. They may, re- they may be right in not unifying with those who do not hold the right doctrine, and they are. But if you don't hold to every single preference that they have, if you don't cross your T and dot your I exactly the way that they do it, if you don't have their style of music, if you don't have their type of pulpit, if you don't have, you fill in the blank, then there should be no unity at all. I think Jesus took care of that when the disciples were walking with Jesus and they told Jesus, they said, Jesus, there were some other disciples that were going out in your name, but they weren't following us and we forbid them to talk in your name. Jesus said, hey, whoever's not against us is for us. Don't forbid them. They were still preaching the gospel. They were still doing what is right. But unity at no cost at all will cause the church great fractions. That is the modern-day Pharisee. We should not be unified with those who deny the virgin birth. I'm sorry, that's key. We should not be unified with those who deny the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never sinned in word, thought, or deed. He was and is the very perfect Son of God. But to be totally isolated from different believers. I know of a church uh, here locally in, in, uh, in New Jersey here. Years ago, they felt that every pastor, if you're going to get up in the pulpit, you've got to wear a white shirt with a tie. 
or you're just not right with God. You say, well, Pastor, why don't you wear a tie? I don't do it because it's the cool thing. I don't do it because it's the cool thing. I do it because of health reasons. I wonder how they would feel about me. I guess I'm not. See, sometimes we jump to the conclusions that don't need to be jumped to, do we? But what's true Christian unity? Write this down. True Christian unity, Paul talks about it in some specific terms. How can we see true Christian unity? Here you go. True Christian unity is the action that defines Christian unity is love. The action that defines Christian unity is love. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 5. It's love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that cross worldly boundaries, okay? that cross those boundaries of ethnic lines, economic lines, educational lines, financial lines. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, take a look in verse 46. For if ye, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? You know what he's saying? If we can only love those who agree with us on everything, we're no better than the lost. Look, folks, I'm going to let you know right now, the next man in here, you're not all going to agree on. Well, I wish he was a little taller. I'm hoping we can get a pastor with hair this time. It's been a long time since we've had a pastor with hair. I hope he's black. Oh, I hope he's white. I hope his wife can play the piano because this, this pastor's wife, she doesn't play the piano. Maybe she'll teach her. Do you know none of that matters? You better be looking for a man that stands firmly upon the word of God that is solid on the gospel, that has a heart for Jesus and the lost, that wants to see missions continue and people reached all around the world, to be able to touch the lives of broken homes here in Williamstown and see them put back together, to be able to propel this church for the next generation. See, if we're going to practice unity, it's hard, and it's, it's action is love. You're going to have to love one another. Well, what's the purpose for Christian unity? Write this down. The purpose of Christian unity is to glorify God. It's to glorify God. The reason we do this is so that God's name can be lifted up, so that he can be glorified. 
The third aspect of Christian unity, true Christian unity, is that the source of Christian unity is the love of Christ. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, if you would, please. 1 John chapter 4. And take a look there with me. 1 John chapter 4. The source. So we see the action that defines Christian unity is love. We see the purpose of Christian unity is the glory of God. We see the source of Christian unity is the love of Christ. 1 John chapter 4, and take a look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And then number four, true Christian unity, it not only has an action, it not only has a purpose, it not only has a source, but it has a place. Christian unity is primarily exercised in the local church. That doesn't mean that it's just limited to the local church, but that's where it's primarily exercised in the local church. See, this morning, God wants us to learn to live in unity so that we can win as a church. Let me ask you, is this church going to win? Is this church going to win? I can't answer that. Only you can. The only way to see this church win is by embracing God's goal and applying unity in God's church. One of the goals of God is unity among the believers. But folks, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to live it out. So my question for you, open Bible. In what, four weeks, five weeks? I am no longer going to be occupying this pulpit. Are you going to win? What's the testimony going to be of this church? Say, oh, pastor, we, we'll be okay. And what do you base that on? Just because you're open Bible? Huh. I've been in church work for too long to see that if we're just going to depend upon ourselves. I've seen great churches crumble because we're just going to ride on our name. It's who we are. No, folks. We better have a bended knee and a humble heart and ask God to unify us so that he may be glorified and that people may come to know him. Hey, folks, thank you so much for watching today. I hope that it was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you don't know Christ your personal Savior and you accepted him today into your life and you put your faith in him, I would like to send you free of charge two things. First,
first, I'd like to send you this book, Done, is written by a friend of mine, What Other Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible, and then secondly, a brand new Bible, just like this one, I'd like to send to you. So please, do me a favor. First, I'd like to hear about your commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill out the electronic connection card right below, click the link. When you fill that out, put your address in and I will be happy to send this book done and this brand new Bible free of charge to you. God bless you and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.